Backchat. 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 Politics and current affairs. Backchat. 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 Your alternative to talk back. Proudly supported by the Judith Nielsen Institute. It's Saturday, February 6th, and you're listening to Backchat, where we break down the news you don't want to miss. Before we begin today, we'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the Gadigal land and pay our respects to Elders past, present and future. I'm Chantelle Alcori. And hi, my name is Shami Sivasubramanian. Uh, first up, we're speaking to the founder of Black Business about the racist controversy around a per- Penrith burger joint. Glad we can hear you now. Glad, After thank you. After that, <laughs> you'll hear from Backchat producer Rebecca Manibog, who brings us the latest on the rise of Aussie hip-hop and the 2020 Acclaim All-Star Awards. Then finally, we talk about an increase in huntsman spiders visiting our homes this week with Dr. Lizzie Lowe. Yikes. And as always, we want to hear from you. Have you spotted any creepy crawlies in your home lately? Let us know and commiserate with me on 0409 945 945 or tweet us at Backchat FBI. Backchat. Text 0409 945 945. This week, a burger joint known as downtown Brooklyn Penrith has landed itself in hot water after their Facebook post suggested that Invasion Day protesters were bandwagoners. Many people flocked to their social media pages in outrage, leaving negative reviews and vowing to boycott the restaurant. Their Instagram was eventually shut down and an apology was issued by the owner, Chris O'Shea. I caught up with Wiradjuri woman and founder of Black Business, Olivia Williams, to discuss the controversy. Check it out. As a Wiradjuri woman, how hurtful were those comments this week from downtown Brooklyn in Penrith? It just felt unnecessary. On the back of January 26th, um, MySpace and others and individuals of the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander community put a lot of effort into education about January 26th and then for it to be undermined um, by that comment um, from this company, it just... Uh, yeah, it sort of just made a mockery of what we had been doing and sort of brushed it off as that it was just all tokenistic and um, that there was no significance to it when really we had made a lot of headway and a lot of people had, you know, come on board to the conversation. So it just felt unnecessary and dismissive. And this isn't the first time that this Penrith business has posted controversial comments. Why do you think they've taken this type of marketing approach? That's what I don't get. This um, was a first for me, learning about their business and hearing a bit more about them, I was surprised that this is sort of their approach. It doesn't make sense to me when so many businesses are trying to show themselves as being allies to, um, you know, our community and other communities too. Perhaps it appeals to their particular market. I'm not sure what their demographic is, but um, yeah, perhaps to wider Australia, at least some of the circles I run in, it's um, a bit on the nose. The community action was quite swift. What are your thoughts on the internet community stepping in and taking action the way that they did? I think it's good because, I mean, me personally, I definitely get stuck in an echo chamber of thinking everyone thinks this way and everyone's progressive and on board. And I think at that time, the interest around January 26 was really heightened and to sort of show give a real life example of this sort of commentary is still floating around was really powerful. And, um, you know, a lot of people had learned a lot in the week and the month of um, January. So then to see a tangible ex- example in front of them of like, Oh yeah, shit. Um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people aren't lying like this does still go on. That was really powerful. I didn't get too involved in the um, people who were, you know, in support of their statement, but I think the um, statement that came out and it, i Calling it an apology is a bit of a stretch, seeing as though I don't think the words I apologise or I'm sorry appeared in it. Um, but 
it, yeah, it just, it was empty and it just felt more. And a lot of the feedback I got from people when I reshared that, um, the Facebook statement that came out was people recognized that this was more of a sorry for being caught than a sorry for what really happened, especially that, that um, this isn't the first time a controversial comment has come from this space. So, um, yeah, I think it was sort of like they got thrown in the spotlight and like, oh, we have to do something about it because we're getting all this pushback rather than being sincere. Now, I sort of show examples of this on black business of different businesses making mistakes and I show the full cycle of when people do apologize and this um, followed one that had a separate example that had happened and it was a really positive example of a space that made a mistake, took responsibility, acknowledged it, made a commitment to do better and are doing better in terms of removing content and changing their practice. So seeing that example and then seeing um, Chris O'Shea's apology, it um, yeah, it was a bit of a slap in the face and a pretty strong contradiction. Um, and yeah, you, it wasn't sincere. Like there was a lot of um, finger pointing and of, you know, these people did this post, it wasn't me and you took it this way. It wasn't meant like that. It wasn't um, sincere apology. And speaking of businesses, what harm do you think can be caused by businesses engaging in social commentary like this? It just like takes away from your business. I'm like, stick in your lane, like you're making burgers. I don't understand why you need to be providing this commentary. If anything, especially if it's negative, like maybe run these comments by your mates and see how they land before you go and bring your business, like your livelihood into that. I so makes sense. And I'm so on board for social media solidarity when there's businesses and organizations want to share content in support of whatever community it might be and that supports their brand but if you would do something that goes against it why bother I also wouldn't encourage you know tokenism there's no point sharing stuff just because you think it'll improve your business but um, I don't know it just seems like a really bad business marketing move I think a lot of businesses are feeling a pressure to speak out on certain issues and they don't always do it successfully as we've seen how do you think businesses can be better allies um, I think it's not that hard to reach out. Like you can reach out to uh, if it's Aboriginal people within your business or if it's spaces like Allen's or Aboriginal land councils or, you know, just sitting back and listening so you understand the conversation first before speaking out. They're the ways you stop making those mistakes because if you speak before you know and if you've got a big platform, like you can become undone. So it's, you know, listen to the conversation meaningfully and then try to have those conversations in your real life where appropriate, of course, asking for consent and all those things, you know, to um, have those conversations with people and then take action. Don't just take action for the sake of um, posting whatever so that you look good. Stay engaged in the space beyond the peak times of the year of January 26th and NAIDOC, you know, stay committed to the conversation year round and be consistent in your online presence and your offline presence. It's no good, you know, sharing Black Lives Matter content or support for our community and then in your real life letting your friends get away with some um, sneaky comments or some dodgy practices. Like you need to be consistent online and offline. Could you tell me a little bit about Black Business and what you do? Yeah, Black Business is an Instagram page and now website that I founded in 2019 as a space to bring together information, knowledge and resources about Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander topics. Our primary purpose of it is to provide mob, other Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, with a space that they resonate with so that when... Um, non-Indigenous people are looking for education, they can forward our resources onto them and that takes the emotional labour off of them. And then, of course, the secondary purpose then is to provide those reliable resources and references for information for people who are wanting to learn more about Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander topics. 
That was founder of black business Olivia Williams on the controversy surrounding downtown Brooklyn burger joint in Penrith and how businesses can be better allies. Stay tuned because we're about to revamp the hip-hop i don't know what this said i'm sorry i read this terribly stay tuned because we're about the hip-hop renaissance celebrating the acclaim awards with rapper barker but first here is a song this is super mario by sydney afrobeat artist michael acox it is absolutely laughable the woman's off her tree. Back Chat, your alternative to talk back. With the rise of Aussie hip-hop rappers from all different walks of life, Acclaim magazine put forth a set of awards highlighting the achievements of some of our favourite artists with the Acclaim All-Star Awards. Back Chat producer Rebecca Manibog sat down with Andrew Montel, founder of Acclaim magazine and Rookie of the Year winner Barker. Give it a listen. The inspiration, I think it came from a few different places for us, but, you know, we've been involved in the Australian hip hop scene, you know, really for like over 20 years. If, if you go right back to the predecessor to Acclaim, which was out for Fame magazine, that, that started in um, 1999. And, you know, I think that just watching what's been happening locally in the last few years, there's a real renaissance, there's a really exciting new generation that are coming up and redefining um, what hip hop is in this country and I think we wanted to play you know a more active role in helping to propel this generation and, and you know provide a bit more exposure um, for them. Do you guys feel like you have a responsibility to be bringing up diversity or just have that responsibility to be showcasing and putting people of colour and our Indigenous community in the spotlight? Yeah 100% to sort of talk a little bit more broadly about hip-hop scene you know like i sort of touched on this this generation is the most diverse hip-hop scene that, that australia has had really um if you look at the the talent that made it into the finals across all of our award categories overwhelmingly the kids that are in there are you know african australian polynesian um, and indigenous and the generation of hip-hop that i came up in was not like that at all it was very white it was led by a very sort of patriotic nationalistic movement which i think alienated a lot of you know people of color kids from minority backgrounds were probably intimidated away from being involved previously and i always saw that as a really negative thing and I, i've always wanted to you know play our part in trying to you know diversify what the what the australian hip-hop scene looks like and it's, it's done that very well on its own and as a sort of interesting attache to this conversation i just actually interviewed um andy and brother d from dawn raid which is a a new zealand hip-hop label that, that did a, a lot back in the early 2000s to propel you know polynesian hip-hop artists into australia and we were sort of talking about the same thing the fact that it's it's now come full circle and it's it's this sort of diverse group of young people that we always wanted to be present in the hip-hop scene and they're, they're the dominant voices now. What do you see in the future of hip-hop in Australia? Multiple artists now that are breaking outside of Australia and getting you know exposure and, and developing fan bases in markets like the US and the UK. Um, that's, that's not something that's really happened much at all previously. So I think that's really encouraging. And I think that, you know, a lot of the artists that are coming up are a lot more universal in their appeal. Ultimately, I hope the emergence of, you know, a sound, a sort of style that is very much unique to this, this market. After speaking with Andrew Montel, I was able to have a yarn with Acclaim All-Stars Rookie of the Year winner, Barker. Tell me about your reaction to hearing your nomination for the Acclaim Magazine All-Stars Awards. 
Um, it was unreal, especially being like first year in my career. I didn't expect to get this much acknowledgement or recognition. So yeah, it was really honouring and humbling and gave me the push to just work harder and keep creating music. Yeah. Were you familiar with the work of Acclaim magazine previously? Um, it's okay to say no. <laughs> Sorry, Acclaim. No! <laughs> um, I've heard of like Acclaim and I thought it was Motel. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, why am I winning awards for motels? So, but um, or nominated. So I didn't really understand. But then looking into it, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. The awards are focused on representation and highlighting the experience of of BIPOC, BIPOC in hip hop. And did you think it did a good job in like putting that in the spotlight? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it was really great to um, be recognised and get our people recognised, especially making music on this scene. And it's good to hear about it. Yeah, it's good to see First Nations artists being put on platforms and not that would necessarily get. So it's nice that there's more. Yeah, more. God, what's the word? <laughs> Showcasing? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think that's a word. Yeah. <laughs> As an Indigenous Australian artist, do you feel like you have a responsibility to put Australia on the map in terms of music and hip-hop? I feel that it does come with a responsibility. Putting my people on the map in our own country is a big thing. Um, you know, like artists at that Briggs have done it before and I remember him mentioning to me that where I heard it, where he's like, you know, basically the things that we're saying is like career suicide. If people are going to love it or people are going to be against it certain people aren't going to play use and so it's just I guess if people if I'm not getting the space I'm just going to come through and make space for myself and I'm gonna bring my power and bring my ancestors with me and I feel like it is a response like as a rapper um being in the spotlight you do have a responsibility for your people like um for young kids and stuff you know if you, you people want to um label you as an angry black woman you're allowed to be angry you're allowed to have emotions um hundred percent. You're allowed to cry too, sis. <laughs> what can we expect from you in the next year? Oh. oh. <laughs> I'm terrible at keeping secrets. <laughs> i got an EP coming out. <laughs> By the end of this year, there's, there'll be an EP. Um, exciting. Yeah, so you can hear more of me if you want to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So I'm really excited about that. I'm putting a lot of um, myself into this project and, yeah, I really want to, you know, get, let people know who I am and where I come from and, yeah, what I came to do. <laughs> she came to take over. <laughs> <laughs> That was Rebecca Manebog on Acclaim All-Stars Awards. Up next, we're talking to a arachnologist, Dr Lizzie Lowe, on huntsman spider infestations in your home. That's coming up. But first, we're playing you a track from Barker, who you just heard in the last interview. This is 22 Clan. Language warning. Fact chat. Text 0409-945-945. You're listening to Backchat on FBI 94.5, your go-to show for news and current affairs. Shami, how do you feel about spiders? Well, no, hard no, hard pass, absolutely not. Look, I respect them and that little Pixar cartoon one was like, you know, kind of cute in that very nightmarish kind of way, but I am absolutely not a spider person. 
Well, it's great news for you because there's actually been an increase in huntsman spiders crawling around Sydney this week. Some people have even had hundreds hatch in their homes. Oh, yay! That's amazing news. And with many people understandably alarmed at the increase of these spiders, we're now joined by Dr Lizzie Lowe on whether our concerns are in fact warranted and how to handle spiders more safely. Hi, Dr Lowe. Thanks for coming on the show. Hi, thanks for having me. So um, so why are there so many huntsmen <laughs> in Sydney right now? Are they all just like right swiping on Tinder and getting busy? Like what's <laughs> happening? Yeah, so it happens every year at this time of year. It's a combination of the weather. Um, so outside at the moment, it's warm and it's also kind of wet. And so this is kind of the spiders, um, their indication of when they need to hatch out is kind of early spring. And now they're really active at this time of year. They're going out there, they're mating, they're making more spiders for next year. Uh, and that's why you're seeing so many around. But it's also because there's lots of insects. So obviously, all spiders are predators. They're looking for something to eat and there's heaps of prey around for them at the moment. So does climate change also contribute to drastic spider population too? Yeah, well, it's always going to be affected by the weather. So it's possible. Um, it is actually affecting spiders in a negative way at the moment. So, you know, in Sydney last year when we had those really, really hot days, yeah. So it was really, really dry for a couple of months and then it was really, really hot. We got to like 47 degrees uh, and the spiders were just dropping dead out of the trees. And that's actually quite scary if you think that a couple of hot days can kill off so many of our native species and they didn't come back for that whole season. So it was actually a huge relief for me to see so many spiders around this season because I was really, really worried last year that, that we'd actually, you know, irreparably damage these ecosystems just from a couple of really hot days. So this might sound a bit silly, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Why won't they just stay outside in nature? (laughs) No, it's a really good question. I mean, you've got to think about where these spiders have evolved to live. So the huntsman spiders, they evolved to live kind of under the bark of trees. Um, So they like somewhere that's kind of a little bit dark, a little bit dry. Um, And when it's really wet outside, they're actually looking for somewhere dry to kind of hang out. Um, so that's why they love coming into houses and you think of things like curtains that's kind of their ideal place to live but also there are actually heaps and heaps of tiny bugs that live in our houses that we don't even notice Um, so there's a lot of food for them in houses and they're quite territorial so with huntsmen you'll only ever find maybe one or two in your house um, unless of course those babies hatch which is where all the media attention has come from recently So what's the worst a huntsman can actually do to us? Yeah, that's a good question. They're not highly venomous, so they can bite you. They're very, actually very, very shy. So despite their bad um, kind of reputation, they don't have very good vision. So if you see them running at you, it's actually because they're just super confused. They can really only see light and dark. Um, so if you see them running around, then they're very, very confused. But people have been bitten, um, but it's no worse than a bee sting, probably even less, less bad than a bee sting. That's adorable. I You've completely made me empathetic to, <laughs> to huntsmen now. Uh, so if hundreds of tiny babies, uh, spiders, do hatch in my home, uh, what would you advise I do? Apart from, you know, yeah, burn down a- my house and, like, you know, move. <laughs> yeah, it's a really good question. Um, so when these babies hatch out, actually one of the first things they want to do is get as far away from all the other spiders as possible. Because spiders are actually highly cannibalistic. So if they all stay in the one spot, they're just going to eat each other. So the best thing you can possibly do is actually just open a window, kind of let the house air out for a little while, and they will do the jobs themselves. They will all run and disperse within 24 hours. What's the best way we can help native spiders that we come in contact with? 
Yeah, that's a really good question. So people seem to like, if they don't like spiders, then they don't like all spiders. But that's a bit unfair because about um, like 99% of spiders actually won't do any harm at all, especially our native spiders. So the things you can do to help them are to not use any kind of broad-spectrum insecticide spray. There are quite a few people who kind of, they see one or two spiders in their garden and they think they need to get the pest control in to spray the entire garden. And that's just so damaging to our ecosystem. So the, really the best thing you can do is just let them live. Let them have a little bit of space in your garden. Things like orb weavers, I actually think are absolutely gorgeous. It's, it's like a little, um, a little critter that will come in and build a sculpture in your garden. I think that's quite wonderful. Thank you so much for being on the show with us today, uh, Dr. Dillo. Uh, in fact, we got a text in uh, about the cannibalistic nature of spiders. It says, uh, cannibalistic spiders, holy cow, uh, which is truly interesting, especially after you had quite an endearing anecdote about them getting confused <laughs> running. So now a lot of confusing spirit, um, feelings about Huntsman. Uh, but thank you so much for being on the show. Very interesting stuff. Yeah, you're welcome. Anytime. That was Dr. Lizzie Lowe, arachnologist from Macquarie University, explaining why the increase in spiders shouldn't al- be an alarm to Sydney ciders. And that's all we have time for on the show this week. A massive thank you to our guests, Barker, Dr. Lizzie Lowe, Andrew Montel and Olivia Williams. This episode of Backchat was brought to you by our producers, Adele Lua-Manubai, Millie Roberts, Rebecca Manibog, and Vanessa Lim. And as always, you can catch anything you missed on our podcast. Just follow Backchat on Spotify, where the one with the cute little blue logo with the Aussie coat of arms, you cannot miss it. We'll catch you next Saturday at 9.30am. But here's a track, and I've been playing this on repeat all week. It's by New York via Istanbul group, Hoko. This is Hello Goodbye. (laughs) 